Welcome to Jazz Biz 101, where we explore and share our journey as minority entrepreneurs with an emphasis on music business. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Jazz Biz 101. This is episode number three. It's a very special one. Um, We are actually recording this straight from Bill's place. We had just recorded uh, two sets of music of the Bill Saxton Quartet, which is going to be available for streaming on our website. You can buy tickets now, www.yarbirdant.com slash calendar. And there you can buy tickets for these two sets of music. And so uh, just want to introduce, uh, there's actually four people here today. Uh, it's me, Peter Lin, but then I have here Abel Morales, as usual, uh, part of Yarbrough Entertainment. Uh, we are joined here by uh, Mr. Michael Ross, actually, who is a lawyer in the entertainment industry, specializing in that. And we also have Bill Saxton here, who uh, we just recorded, but he's a saxophonist himself and a long time born here in Harlem and has his own club called Bill's Place, which he has been running for over 16 years. So um, just welcome, gentlemen. Thank you for being a part of this. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, yes. man, what a night, man. It's a, it, You guys did two sets of music and we were we had the pleasure to film you guys and record you guys uh, at Bill's. It's actually, uh, I think it's personally my first time. Um, uh, I've heard about it. Uh, I've always wanted to come and, uh, and I'm glad that finally made it. It's a... <laughs> It's a legendary spot, it, you know. It's been around even before it was Bill's place, right? Oh yeah, it goes back to nineteen twenty, nineteen twenty nine, twenty eight. Man, that's that's yeah, a, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, man. Then, you know, Fatsuala, James P. Johnson, Willie Lyon Smith. You know, you see, this street was Swing Street. This street was known to have like this is where the musicians came, and they had a club called Club Mexico. There was one called the Palace. There was one called the Clam House. It was full of speakeasies, mm. you know. So each speakeasy was like all in the same block. So it depends on what you taste. The one they called the Clam House, they didn't serve clams. Mm. So I was wondering what they were doing. <laughs> you know. I never, you know, leave that up to their imagination. You know, <laughs> right, right. They called, but all kinds of stuff was going on. You know, May West, uh, Tallulah Bankhead used to hang out, and Billy Holiday was a teenager. And she actually got her start in this club. And when we got the place, we didn't even know it. And wow. I used to play with Roy Haynes back in the 70s. Mm-hmm. So he gave me a set of his drums. That's why we have Roy Haynes wow. drums. Those, oh, okay. those are actually his drums that he gave to me. You That's know, Because awesome. I played with him. I played with him about three, four years. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Man, that, there's a lot of history here in this street as as we are learning. And as we know already as musicians, Peter and I, you know, we know Harlem is the spot, you know, for this for this music, yeah. with, with the lab, you know, for a lot of a lot of musicians. Uh, uh, Michael, tell us a, a little bit about you and, 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 and yeah. what you what you're doing, man, with the music and the industry and the law and everything, man. Right. Well, you know, it's first of all, it's just an honor to be able to sit here with this incomparable yes, jazz musician, uh, Bill Saxon, who I've known now for for some decades and, <laughs> and to be able to get back to New York and soak in right. the, the history, the rich history. Uh, he mentioned uh, 1920. It leads me to want to ask him, uh, is that when he first heard jazz? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe through the ancestors. <laughs> maybe right. through the ancestors. Okay. Because, you know. So on, on, a, on a more serious note, I'm wondering, when, when did you first hear jazz and, and how were you inspired by that? Well, you know, growing up in Harlem, you know, they used to have jukeboxes. Mm-hmm. You know, where you put a quarter in, you can play three records, you know, three songs. And uh, when I was in a grade school, there was this place we used to go to called the Blue Something to have lunch. And the people would play music, and they would play the music of Moaning by Art Blakey, mm-hmm. you know, with the Messengers, you know. I didn't know what it was, mm-hmm. but I liked it, you know. Plus, I used to sell newspapers as a kid, mm-hmm. And I lived in on 146th Street, so I walked from 146 to 125th Street, and it's passed by at least 20 bars that all had music. Mm. 
And so I stick my head in, you know, check it out, you know, selling my newspapers. And, you know, <laughs> they would let me come in to sell newspapers. And then I had to get the fuck out. Yeah, you're too young. Yeah, but uh, all of it was there, but I didn't realize that it was soaking in. Mm. In addition to that, I had a neighbor who used to, on Saturdays, she used to play uh, music loud all day until she finished doing her housework. And she too would play the music of Gloria Lynn, Arthur Price, uh, Mm. Basically, I didn't know what it was. I didn't know the songs. I just heard it and as a kid just running around. Soaked it. You know, it's soaked in. And then wow. later on when I started playing music, people would say, well, do you know this song? You know, and I didn't know the title, but when they started playing it, plus I had a good ear, mm-hmm. anything that I could hear, I could play it almost. You know, so I'd play it because I knew the song, but I didn't know the name of the song. So I had to learn the names of the songs. <laughs> you know, so that, that was my challenge, you know, right. learning the names of the songs. But that's, that's, that was the beginning of, of mm-hmm. the whole journey. And then my family moved from Harlem. Well, it was a big fire in the building. We were placed in the housing mm-hmm. projects. Mm-hmm. And they put us downtown there, Avenue D, down over there near Columbia Street, where there's a bunch of projects all lined up one behind the other. Mm-hmm. And Jackie McLean happened to live down there. Mm-hmm. And I met Jackie McLean. I met his son, a bunch of young musicians. You know, he's always been around young musicians. Jackie was like a magnet for young musicians. Yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, I met them, and that's when I decided that that's what I want to do. So mm-hmm. that was the the first point of inspiration, or what was? Well, what the inspiration was, the was already there, but okay. I didn't know how to do it. Okay. Because I didn't have no musicians in my family. Okay. We didn't have no money to pay for lessons. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, in junior high school, they they had a band, but, you know, the, the guy wanted me to play clarinet. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted to play the trumpet, to tell you the truth, because I mm-hmm. like Louis Armstrong. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. And you saw him on television, too, you know. Mm-hmm. But he gave me clarinet, and I fooled around with that, but that wasn't quite the sound mm-hmm. that I wanted. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And then when the 64 riots came about, that's when I got my first saxophone. Hmm. So who who was some of your earlier mentors? Mentors? Mm-hmm. You mean people that I knew or people that I didn't know? Well. That I liked, you know? Well, people who that inspired you to be more disciplined in the pursuit of It was when um, I moved downtown music. to meet Jackie McLean okay. and some of his students and mm-hmm. his son, Renee. You know, these guys, they were serious young musicians. They And they used to practice I had one friend who was my best friend. He was from Columbia, South America. Mm-hmm. He's, his name was Nelson Samiego. Mm. And Nelson used to practice all the time. If you didn't hear his saxophone, he was home. Mm. And he liked me because I was very streetwise. Mm. I liked him because he was a fine musician. So that was the trade-off between the two of us. And uh, he just, I learned so much from him, you know, about the discipline, and then he would transcribe. He used to transcribe uh, Charlie Parker mm. and John Coltrane and play their solos and then come back and say, now this is what I would play and play something totally different. I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> really? You know? Wow. So, wow. you know, he was a big influence on my whole life, and that's when I decided that I wanted to be a musician. Awesome. And I had an idea of what it took. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So I, would, I practiced. I didn't mind practicing. But then when I tried to get in music school, you know, I had no, I didn't understand the concept of playing uh, in different styles, you know, like classical versus jazz. I'd play this shit, but it's, all of it sounded like jazz. Mm-hmm. So I failed. <laughs> 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 and then uh, the, doing the conservatory came into the picture. Right. You know, year, I, years mm-hmm. ago I was in New York and I had an awesome opportunity to stop in at a place where the incomparable Frank Foster was playing. And I don't know if you remember this, Bill, but it was around your birthday. And Bill and Frank Foster had an impromptu jazz meetup. And I I came to learn after that that Frank Foster was uh, a mentor of sorts. And it was, uh, you can see the the magic happening on stage. Can you tell us a little bit more about (laughs) That relationship and how that impacted Frank Foster was like a father to me. As a matter of fact, the saxophone that I played on today, Mm -hmm. Uh that was his horn. Oh, wow. That was his horn. He wanted me. Yeah, Frank Foster's horn. The last one that he played. 
That's, <laughs> that's something else. Was like, <laughs> he was like a father to me, mm-hmm. you know, because uh, he, uh, you know, I mean, he just, he was always there. And he always had, he had something going because I learned how to play before I learned how to read music. Mm. And I knew what the notes were, but I read the rhythms and shit and used to, Mess me up, you mm-hmm. know. Still sometimes it's hard. <laughs> <laughs> I have to sing it first and then I play it in the school. Right. You know. Right. But uh uh he was always good. He was always good to me and he he realized that I needed help, so he he would help me, you know, and he always hired me. I remember one time I was playing with his band in this club called La Boheme. You might have heard of it. Mm. And uh I was sitting in between Norris Turney and uh who was it? Somebody else playing after Lars Turney, and I think Charles Davis. And the band was rest. There was a rest, and I was still playing. Oh. <laughs> you know how that feel, right? right. Whole band is resting. Right. I stopped, but I'm still. Any time on the phone. Easy. You know about that. I was, break, right? I was a nervous <laughs> wreck. Right. Right. So, so was there was there a particular performance or gig, as we would say, that you could point to that was a turning point in your career and in, in, in the pursuit of excellence? And, well, the and, t- and, turning point was that the more I go around, mm-hmm. see, because when we moved down to the Lower East Side, mm-hmm. that's where Slugs was. Slugs was like two blocks from my house. Okay. There's a bunch of little jazz clubs, you know, the Tin Palace, the East Village Inn, they were all, and all the musicians lived down there, you mm-hmm. know. So just by being there was a big turn on in itself, but, you mm-hmm. know, you also get tricked. Because you got these people walking around with horns and acting like they know, and they didn't know shit. Mm-hmm. I remember, I mean, excuse me. You know, I remember <laughs> once uh, I went to a rehearsal for Sunrock. Mm. They asked me to come oh, by. Oh, I see. And I went there, you know. And they had these guys that were walking around, you know. I was like, okay. And Sunrock said, well, I want you to play piano. Go, I want you to stand right by the piano. You going to be. Okay, you know, but I quickly realized that there was this one saxophone player in particular, a gentleman by the name of John Gilmore, mm-hmm. who played with Sun Ra, who was an excellent musician. It's documented that Coltrane, he had an influence on Coltrane because mm. he was playing more modern wow. you know, at one point in time. And uh, I wanted to get next to him. But he was playing drums. You know, he wasn't playing the sax. Oh, yeah. And wouldn't talk that much, you know, when he was with Sun Ra. And then I realized all there was a bunch of guys there that wasn't quite. I knew that I knew more than they knew at that particular time, so I could not hang around there too long. I hung around for a little while, but not not long, because mm-hmm. I didn't want to waste my time. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so I know we talked. You mentioned your. I know you're an <coughs> alumni of the New England Conservatory of Music, and I understand that just this year. Uh, they are celebrating the 50th year anniversary right. of the Jazz Studies Department's right. uh, uh, existence. Right. Um, that leads me to want to ask you, what do you see the place of jazz in America today, if you look back over the years? Well, it's, 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 it's now it's universal. Mm-hmm. Because all over the world, you know, like you got guys that went to Berkeley from Japan, guys that went to Berkeley from uh, Russia, mm-hmm. guys who went to Berkeley from, from wherever, you know, then they go back home. And they show the process because Berkeley had formalized a style, you know, a way of learning music, composition, mm-hmm. arranging, and performance that if you had no talent, you're going to learn something. Mm-hmm. You know, right. You're gonna learn something. We used to call it the chord factory. Because, you know, they <laughs> you know, they teach you, they gotta systemize from A, B, C. If you follow the process, you're gonna learn something. Mm-hmm. Right. You might, and if you're gifted, like Chicoria, like Roy Hargrove or something, you're really gonna excel because they giving you the real stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so they take it back, and the music is becoming universal. The problem is, is that I see. <clears throat> that being one of the originators of the, uh, well, the, the downline of the originators of the music, which is black people, you know, our people are the last ones in line because right. the, the young young black guys are, are into hip-hop. 
right. which has nothing to do with the mechanics of music. All they know how to do, they have good ears, they can sample this and maybe layer that on top of this and put a voice on top of that. And let's go to the studio and bam. And all that shit sounds the same after a while, you know. Right. <laughs> so <clears throat> I say to you that, you know, I, that there's a future in music. My concern is that the people who originate the music, they won't know from whence it came, mm. you know. And so right. we're losing our own culture mm. because yep. of that. So what do you see then as, as the greatest threat or some of the threats to the institutional well, jazz. That is a threat. That you is know. a threat. I mean, because, you know, these guys, they don't know. Mm. All they know how to do is sample. Right. And you can't, you know, you can't, you can't just, you can't, then these other people are learning the, the foundation and the mechanics and the whole language of music, you know. Mm. I mean, they can't compete with them, so they find themselves humble to people who, you know, who sample, the, I mean, to, uh, who know the music, but they don't have the ears to 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 capture what these younger guys are capturing. But mm-hmm. it's not hard to find out once mm-hmm. you listen to it enough, right? You know, so that I feel like that's the biggest threat. You know, we're losing. You know, I mean, look, fifty years, a hundred years down the line. I mean, as you notice, Louis Armstrong picture, he's a very dark skinned man. If you look at the magazines and stuff, his skin complexion is getting lighter. There he is right there. <clears throat> <laughs> right, yeah. he's light skinned He's like he's very dark. Mm-hmm. Mm. You know, so uh, that's they won't even Duke Ellington. Duke Ellington looked like a white man. Right. He's already light yep. anyway. Mm. So that's the problem. We won't know our own history. That's mm. right. Uh, you know, we have to yeah. go back to the copyists to learn about ourselves. And of course, mm. we ain't gonna learn the real shit. Mm. <laughs> yep. Yep. You know, so, Bill, uh, we. Uh, Peter and I, we actually had a, uh, an opportunity to collaborate with the museum, with the National Jazz Museum right. in Harlem. And uh, we had an opportunity to do some of this remote uh, interviews to uh, 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 regarding the, the Black Lives Matter movement. Yeah. And we, in uh, one of them, it, it, they're actually called Jazz in the Era of Black Lives Matter. Right. And we touched on really cool topics that relate to what you were just saying, especially, I'm very interested to know your thoughts you that you were part of this, you know, institution like the New England Conservatory. Mm-hmm. Do you think that? Uh, what are your thoughts on, on like this music being accessible to, in this case, like you were saying, to um, African Americans or to people that you know that originated black, black people that came up with this music? Do you think it relates to that? Maybe also like they like these people are not really having access to this, or or even like. This institution's not having the actual, the you know, teachers that, you know, black musicians as their teachers in the schools. You, what are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, uh, like, you know, first of all, young black students, you know, were not on a certain level. It's not even going to get in the New England Conservatory. Mm. Yeah. Classically or, you know, in the jazz department, you know. And it's a very it's the oldest independent university in this country. Music is a total musical atmosphere. Mm-hmm. So, and then they got Berkeley. They aligned themselves with Berkeley, so they got access to the, you know, they within blocks of each other. You can walk from one school right. to the other, you know, right. and it's all in the same area to, of downtown Boston, mm-hmm. you know. So, you know, the reason why, you know, well, I... I realized when I started to want to go to school, I realized I had to learn more. I had to learn how to audition. So mm-hmm. I, at one time, studied with, well, I met Benny Maupin. Do you know him? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Course, head yeah. And he, you know, he told me to, I, used, I, I would freely walk up to people and ask for help. So he said he would help me. He would give me a lesson. And it was a snowstorm. Mm. Snow was up to my knees. Mm. He just knew I wasn't coming. I showed up to his house, knocked on the door. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, all you could see was the trail of my horn case with me. And I had one of those big yeah. coffin cases, you know. Yeah. Right. And uh, from that point on, he never charged me a dime because he realized that I was serious. Mm. You know? mm. And then me coming through the snowstorm made a big impression on him. Gotcha. You know, uh, then he went on the road and I studied with, he told me that, Check out Joe Henderson. You see, they moved Ooh. from Detroit. 
So I studied with both of them. I studied wow. with Joe Henderson. And Joe Henderson was, uh, he was quite a guy. You know, uh, he, he liked me. He would charge me. What did he charge me? I think he charged me $15. Oh mm. man, wow. but $15 wow. was like $200 now yeah. to me. Right, right. Right. All I had was enough to get the train to come back. Wow, from, you know, mm. but you know, he showed me so much because he showed me play had the classical with the classical approach and yeah. Marcel Millet and Sigurd Rascher and you know, these saxophone wow. teachers and theorists mm -hmm. who knew about different things with the saxophone. So when I used to, I when I heard Joe Henderson playing this shit, I was like, "You sound like a white boy, you know," <laughs> because he could play with that kind of control, yeah, yeah right. which made me realize that that's what I had to do wow. right. if I wanted to be. So when I went into the conservatory, I auditioned classically. Mm. I was invited oh. to audition classically, but I had a, my best friend was a trumpet player here, and uh, I asked him to go with me. I said, would you go with me? He said, yeah, I'll go with you. Because he was curious to see what the fuck I was up to. <laughs> <laughs> right. So we went up there, and yeah. it was at that time when I got there that they were talking about this jazz department. Oh, right. very And he didn't even have an application. He, all he had was his trumpet, and me and him went there. And they asked, they saw him, would you play? Yeah. You want to get in? So they were giving away scholarships. Oh, wow. That's how I got They were giving them away. And then, you know, like I auditioned classically. And they said, well, you want to get in the jazz apartment? I said, sure. So uh, that's how that whole thing got. Yeah, nice. That's how it happened. And they also recruited some musicians who was in Berkeley that couldn't pay their bills, you mm. know, and they gave them scholarships. Tremendous. That's how they started their program. They had See, the original theory was to expose the classical musicians to people who could play without looking at a music on a page. And the trade-off was to give us an opportunity to learn the mechanics of composition, mm -hmm. you know, uh, orchestration, harmony, etc. Right. That was the trade-off. And they gave us anything we want. I mean, I, when they said they had a degree in jazz. Right. And I told them, oh, degree in jazz don't sound like shit to me. <laughs> you know, it don't sound like nothing to me. I mean, right, right. what does jazz mean? It's, you know, it's a word that came from slang that, you know, had something to do with something else, not a music. Mm -hmm. Having to be that the music was created there in the speakeasies, but not that. So I said, they asked me what I want. I said, I want a degree in African. Would you know? What do you think a degree should read? African-American music. And that's uh, what I have. And then after I graduated, oh, wow. guess yeah. what? They went back to jazz. <laughs> yeah, right. 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 And everybody's happy. Yeah. But so I, they might have did that for a certain small group of people. Hmm. And then wow. So that's so what I actually says. African American studies. African American studies. Wow. Does not yeah. say jazz because jazz is an institution. At that time, that was in the what that was in the late sixties. Early 70s, so, you know, wow. if okay. you're black and you raise hell, oh, don't get angry. What do you want? Right. right. I right. said, damn. Yeah. That's all I have to do? That's all I have to do? <laughs> get mad? I was mad all the time. I was mad. I never happy about nothing. What, were you gigging at that time? Well, they had a little club up in Boston called Wally's. Mm. Okay. Wally's was a place that had been there since... God knows when. As a matter of fact, it was, it was on Massachusetts Avenue. Massachusetts Avenue traveled from uh, Boston to Cambridge. And over the last stop going to on Mass Avenue was Harvard. So you go past MIT, you go past Harvard, and it comes back and it goes into the ghetto on the other side of the tracks, you know. And, of course, we lived on the other side of the tracks, but there was this club called Wally's, and they used to have hookers out there, and the hookers would come in the club, you know, mm. running from the police. <laughs> like they had a drink in there, you know. Wow. And okay. so uh, I played there for the whole time I was there. Mm. The whole time I was there, mm. I played there, you know. Mm. And one of my students was a saxophone. You ever heard of this guy, Ricky Ford? Ricky Ford. Saxophone player from Boston. No. Well, mm. He got to be good, but he, I was his first teacher. Mm. Okay. As a matter of fact, he played with Mingus. 
He played with Ellington too. Oh. Whatever it was, I I was a I got a fellowship. Excuse me for cutting. No, go right ahead. Fellowship to teach it up. <laughs> at the school in Roxbury, which is the Harlem of Boston. Mm-hmm. Roxbury. Mm-hmm. That's that's where Tony Williams is from. And uh, you know, I got they gave us they wanted black teachers. Mm. So I got asked, and my my best friend he got asked too. And so we went over there, and I t- I met Ricky Ford, and I told him that if you come there, I'll teach you how to play. Mm. He came, and it wouldn't cost you nothing. You just got to show up because uh-huh. the Ford Foundation had funded the program. So, nice. Mm. You oh, know, wow. Yeah. So I taught him. <clears throat> wow. and, but I would always go to New York every summer because that's where my home is. Mm. He was there, and Duke Ellington used to play for this lady. Her name was Elma Lewis. Uh, she started a school up there in Boston. She was a dancer, but she was very dark and kind of stocky. Not about not a ballerina's body, you know. <laughs> so she had a hard time, you know. So she Aww. got these people to give her money to start this school, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, he's and she, Duke Ellington used to play for her every year. So he came up there to play for her, and she started telling him about my student. I wasn't there because I came to New York. He got the gig with Duke Ellington. Oh, wow. Yeah. Talking about wrong place, wrong time, baby. <laughs> right. I know about that. Right. Yeah. yeah. And then from there, he got the gig with Charlie Mingus. Wow. My student. And then he would write, you know, then he would say, oh, yeah, I know, Bill. We used to practice together. Oh, my God. I said, no kidding. I mean, yeah. yeah. We said, I know him. Oh. He arrived. Yeah, you know, but, you know he's so, over there and I'm over here. Guess right. what? So, so tell us, from Wally's now to Bill's place, uh-huh. bring it full circle, why Bill's place in Harlem? Well, even when I was in Boston, uh, there was this church uh, uh, on West Newton Street, and they, I forgot how we got into this church. I don't remember how it began, but I know that they let us have the basement of the church to do to play our music. They let us do that, you know. And so, I created this organization called the Black Avant Garde, and uh, we used to play in this place every weekend. And you know, we used to have. I had my girlfriend who, she's an excellent cook. She even I used to eat these pies called bean pies. Bean you heard pie. about bean pie? Bean pie. It's made out of white beans, but it really tastes like tastes like coconut custard almost. Wow. Mm, really good. Oh man. This girl can make, she said, she said, I can make a pie. So she started making these pies. I taste I said, no, baby, you ain't got it. <laughs> One day she came up with this shit. Had these pies, man. I was selling bean pies. You know this trombone player named Art Baron? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Tell him that you met a guy, if you can, a guy who used to sell him bean pies. He calls me <laughs> Bean Pie Bill to this day. <laughs> I mean, yeah. You think I'm lying? Ask him. Just say, do you know somebody named used to sell bean pies? I'm the only one. He's a, he still calls me Bean Pie Bill, right? <laughs> yeah, he, he, that's hilarious. That's the oh truth. I swear to God. Wow. See, I. I've always had that, uh, we call it uptown, hustle spirit. Mm-hmm. Make Doctor something Bill. happen. Make something happen. You don't know what you're making, but sometimes it ain't good either, but it's still something's going to happen from yeah. it. <laughs> and uh, that's what happened with that. If I had backing and smarts, I probably would stop playing the saxophone because I had everybody in the whole New England Conservatory buying these pies. Uh. Mm. Every, every week, I'd come with a big box of pies and sell out. <laughs> you know, yeah, nice. my girlfriend. Yeah, I bet they were good, man. They yeah, were good. That's that's good. They, they had, like, they had the secretaries, good. the president, everybody. So, how much were you uh, selling them for? Jesus Christ, I think ten or fifteen dollars, something like that. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah. but we, you know, we just students are just doing shit. You know, oh, like, in between wow. practice, I would be the she would cook them, I sell them. Nice. Wow, give her money. So that's. Uh, so is that is that, that was the beginning of me starting. So to me, coming to Bill's place okay. was not a big stretch mm. because I used to also play it when I moved back to New York after me. You know, I got my first jobs 
was with uh, Latin bands. Mm-hmm. You know, I recorded and played with Mongo Santa Maria, mm-hmm. Tito Puente, you know, Machito. Because yeah. I could read. Now I'm good. I can read. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Shit, everything was in cut time. <laughs> so you, know, you had to be able to deal. Handwritten too. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And so I played with those guys and, you know, uh, then I just, all, once you do that, you all kinds of stuff, you know. I played in the Bell Lewis band for a minute. Oh, uh, nice. You know, all, all kinds of situations, you know. <clears throat> then I ended up playing at this club called, uh, way later, the St. Nick's Pub. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I happened to have been married and my ex-wife, you know, like, I got taken off, I got ripped off. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, I didn't have, so. I had to play at this club, and she dropped. I had a son that was 11 years old. And she dropped him off at my house. Bam! So another weight on top of my head. Wow. You know, you know, I so they, uh, I couldn't travel. So I used to stay. I had to play. So I played at this place called St. Nick's Pub. And where was the pub? I know the pub, and I think that's where we met. That's where that we couple met. A de- couple decades ago. That The pub was, uh, I know it was on St. Nicholas Avenue, and what? Yeah. It had 149th. 149th, that's right. And that place had a history, too. Wow. Because it was owned by this piano player called Lucky Roberts. You heard of Lucky mm-hmm. Roberts? Mm-hmm. He's in that picture, the great Dan Holland, Lou Shaw, guy, oh, Stoney wow. Man. Okay. He, wrote a, uh, he wrote a tune called Moonlight Cocktails, and it was a big hit. Oh. And so he bought this club called Mr. Lucky's Paradise. Mm. You know, and oh. when I was playing there, Sonny Rollins told me, that because Sonny Rollins grew up on 140, up uh, there, or there on uh, uh, on St. Nicholas Place, up there near 100 before 155th Street, 153rd Street, something like that. After uh-huh. he moved from Harlem, <clears throat> and uh, he told me that there was a lot of history because even Charlie Parker used to there's a chicken joint next day. He used yeah. to be in the chicken joint, you know, cleaning mm. chickens. That was a hustle. Um, uh, yeah, I, yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, so Lucky Roberts had his club. Then it became the Pink Angel after Lucky Roberts. Mm-hmm. And then it was called Dudes. Mm-hmm. And when it was Dudes, uh, uh, Jack McDuff used to play there all the time. Mm-hmm. Wow. <clears throat> used to be yeah. there all the time, you know. And then it became St. Nick's Pub. Wow. Yeah. And that's okay. when I came into the picture, you know. Right. And I was playing there, and I started playing there every Friday night, you know. And I had Bobby Forrester, you ever hear of him? Organ player? Oh, no. Wow. Oh, man, we used to play any and everything. And we had this thing, man, you know, you started at 10 o'clock, and when we get there, you know, everybody moving slow and shit. To you. And once we started playing, like, everybody like this. <laughs> Couldn't believe it. People, tourists, Japanese, come there, all wow. kind of people. Yeah, okay. a tremendous yeah. crowd. Wow. And I used to talk to the owner and say, man, we should buy this place. Yeah. You know. But you, yeah, there's an interesting I didn't have any money. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, you mentioned the, the how the crowd became a, sort of an international crowd that found oh, yeah, their way. But but I've seen that happen here at Bill's place now. Oh, yeah. You know, when I've yeah, come in yeah. and out of the city, and now, you know, over the last 15 or 16 years, you've accumulated quite a following. Uh, yeah. And now with the pandemic, I imagine that has... Uh, that, that kicked us out. Kicked, yeah. Everybody. Yeah, not just right. us. Hence this project. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah for sure. You know, yeah, but the thing is, is like, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, playing, uh, having my own place and playing, uh, we didn't know that it was going to work. We started out because we want to make it, make it community friendly. Mm-hmm. So okay. we started out $10. Yeah. Can you imagine $10 in here? You know, right. you can have 30 right. people if you can get 30 people in there. Right. It's a full house. $10, you only got $300. You ain't got shit. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. So we went up to $15. Right. A little bit better. Then we went up to $20. Yeah. Now you got oh. 30 times 20. Yeah. Now you're talking about 600. Yeah. Now we're talking about now. Oh. And then we went up to $30 <laughs> about two years ago. Wow. And the police was still packed and nobody complained. Right. Because, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, shit, man. And oh, then shit. pandemic. Sold came. out. Yeah. Then uh, pandemic came, kicked my ass out. 
Well, it looks like now you have an opportunity with the live streaming platform. Well, this this is what, you know, like when when I first saw your work, you Mm -hmm. know, I never forgot it. Never Mm -hmm. forgot it Mm because I was standing right here playing my saxophone. (laughs) And from somewhere else, I don't know where you were, but I know that the guy who was filming it, you know, my nephew, he just, and you picked it up. I said, well, damn. And there was no delay. There was like, you know, as I was playing, I could see that it was synchronized. It was perfect. Mm-hmm. I said, I'm going to get back to you. So the first yeah, opportunity. Yeah, really appreciate that's, that. That's, that's the whole, yeah. Peter, that's the whole thing. Crazy. And I'm glad to meet you, Abel. Yeah, you know, nice to meet you, man. You guys yeah, were able, happen. you know, to yeah. make it happen, you know. and uh, Great fit. And I'm, I'm, sure, a, I'm sure your audience is is clamoring and waiting. If I can, to, if to, I can to get, get to those music, people, because yeah, yeah. we yeah. had an international, people would come from everywhere. And the lady yes. called recently. If we can get to the any amount of those people, because it got to the point where I started recognizing people. You know, mm. uh-huh. you know I couldn't remember. Me, hey, Bill, this is so and so. And you know, since we didn't have no uh, cover, no you know, yeah. selling drinks. People would bring their own. Mm. So what they didn't finish, they gave it to me. So I had a stash of bottles or half a bottle of this, a half a bottle, a <laughs> quarter of that, you know. And right. so they would all automatically, well, Bill, you going to have a drink with us? Yeah, give me a <laughs> I'll drink with yeah. them. And then somebody wow. over here, they got some other shit. So sometimes yeah. I was pretty ripped. Mm. You know, walk around here because I drink this, mix this shit. With <laughs> so, so, so <laughs> I like get the blues. The legend that the legend the downtown is that Bill's place is the last remaining speakeasy in Harlem. Mm. And so, mm. and the whole notion of a speakeasy is, you know, you you almost have to drink your booze out of a coffee cup, right? Because this was during prohibition, right, right, and, right. You know, yeah, you, you drink out, so that the police so, came, yeah, it would appear as though yeah. everybody's having. So you have that. You still have that mystique and that yeah. ambiance of Others, historical yeah. speakeasy exactly. with yeah. world class music. Plus, in addition to that, yeah. you know, like if you don't sell booze. See, the law is is that if you sell booze, serve booze, yeah. you have to have food because mm-hmm. people have to have something to eat. Otherwise, the liquor that you're drinking, you know, you, your body don't absorb it. Yeah. So you yeah. get high quick. <laughs> but if yeah, you right. eat something, yeah, that's right. you don't get high so yeah, quick, you know. So... Uh, we well, there found comes a the way pies. to get around <laughs> <laughs> the beat. That was another phase, <laughs> but, but uh, you know, they, uh, you know, Pie. so we we got around that by not serving booze. I yeah, I don't sell no booze. We mm. don't sell sell shit. Mm. But yeah. you can drink your ass off. It's yours. And in and, right. and, and sixteen years, we had one incident where a guy got so wiped out. You know, yeah. Yeah. That he couldn't, you know, he just couldn't manage. So me and my nephew, we carried him outside <laughs> and put him on the stoop. Right. Nothing ever happened to him. I never heard of him again. Right. But I said, man, you ain't gonna get high and fuck up my shit. Right? <laughs> so we, we carried this. Here. We carried this motherfucker outside. Right, right. Stoop yeah. down the street. You know. Yeah, I yeah. think a lot of musicians um, don't know what it's like to run a club, you know, and I think it'd be really interesting for them to hear, like, what are some of the difficulties that you've encountered in the past 16 years, and how did you overcome those difficulties? Well, you know, you got to believe in what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if I don't believe in what I'm doing, how can I convince you? You know, mm-hmm. that's right. you got to you got to believe in it. You got to, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and uh, anybody that's taking any business uh-huh. doing of any kind, even what you're doing, you know, if, if it, you, you know, it's a three-year window. If after three years it can't walk by itself, then maybe you need to reconsider it uh, and do something right. else. Yeah, three years of- after three, that's the whole concept. Good education. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, so uh, after three years, after two years, I mean, we used to be in here and would be nobody here but my wife. Right. And, you know, it'd be like three people in there, you know, for $10. That was a ten dollar oh, fee. We got up to thirty dollars, and you couldn't even get people were sitting on the floor here, you know, looking up at us. We got, we got uh, what's five stars on Yelp. Oh, nice. So we had the same thing that the Blue Note get. We as a smoke get, as Smalls. We got. Yeah. I mean, surpass it more than the Vanguard. 
Man, uh, God didn't even have five stars. So we would kick it, man, because people would read that <laughs> shit. Oh, yeah. And then they want to come to Harlem, too, the mystique of Harlem. Right. That's right. You know, I mean, that was oh, like, that was, the, that was a whole hell of a job. Harlem? Shit. Well, right now, we're the last club standing because most recently, there's a place called uh, Showman's. Showman's, yep. The owner just died. Oh. Closed. It's been closed. Yeah. You know, yeah. closed. Yeah. I mean, done. Yeah. That was the last yeah. club in Holland. We were... We were we were we were the other place, but they they had a certain kind of crowd that come there anyway. So right. now we're the only club that's happening, and we're not happening because it ain't nothing going on. That's right. right. So right. it's kind of strange, you know. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's uh, that's so that's we really literally the, the last club standing. Wow. Mm. Yeah. So now we have to do it on the stream, and I I was reluctant at first. I said, <clears throat> I think it was Lou Donaldson. I spoke to him. He said, man, it's strange doing that stream and stuff, man, because you ain't playing for no people. You just, That's you know, right. you know, you, 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 yep. the connection mm-hmm. between the music and the people is like one thing. And now that's gone. That one thing is no longer there. You know, yeah. it's a drag, you know. It's a different vibe for sure. Mm, yeah. 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 But, yeah. you know, if, if guys, if you just for that hour, you know, like we did two hours today, you know. Yeah. And I to tell you the honest truth, I started getting a little bit tired, you know, right. toward the end, you know. We maybe should have did the hard songs first. Christmas It might have been different. You sound killing me. It was like kicking my butt. You know, I was like... Bill, the band was on fire, man. It didn't show. You know, for all the people listening, you know, man, you got to come... You got to check out this concert. It's going to be... It's yeah, something you guys, else, man. I, I'm sure once they hear this live stream, you're going to have a line right and and yeah, the vaccine is in full effect. Right. The line's going to be <laughs> once again down the street and around the corner. Yeah, I mean, you know, you don't want to do this. You know what we did here? We have what? You know, set and then clean out. And the next group of people, people right. waiting outside. Waiting. Right. I mean, sometimes when the weather was strange, they'd be in the building up the stairs. Okay. Yeah, you know, it's like very impressive to think that I actually built something that people would come to that extent. You know, that's really awesome. That's really congratulations because I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but your your Bill's place is different in so many uh, ways of the experience that it offers to. Mm To the audience, you know, compared to Village Vanguard, or you know, obviously everybody on his own, right. you know. Right. But 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 I feel like this, you know, being so close to the band in, yeah. that creates That's this another thing because the front row is right there. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, I'm playing that people can hear me breathe. They can, you know. Right. I, mean, yeah. I mean, one time one of the pearls came off my saxophone, and. <laughs> Flew on somebody, <laughs> and they gave me the pearl back, and, and yeah, I kept like right on playing. You know, you know, yeah, like yeah. yeah. I mean, where do you get that? You oh know? man, you, like, can't you, know, a, you can't get it. You can't get it. You know, really. yeah. Speech easy. Yeah, and the connection with the history, man. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, and yeah. I would tell the speech about the history and and what happened with Billy Holiday because yeah. the story is like the lady who owned the place, the Leslie. This started out to be it was called Covans, and this lady named Tilly Fripps came in as a cook and she used to she's credited with creating that recipe of chicken and waffles. And uh, you know, then she 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 made money enough to move on. And then this lady named Monette Moore. You know, you ever heard of a singer named Melba Joyce? Yes. Oh, yeah. She's Melba Joyce's aunt. And I didn't even know oh, because wow. I was like in here telling the story about Billy Holiday, how she was discovered in here. Mm-hmm. And she was correcting me as I was going along. And then she told me that my aunt used to own this place. Her name was Monette Moore, who was a famous wow. singer, a vaudeville singer, who sang the Harlem Opera House and all these places. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and she was the one who asked Billy Holiday. To, it was called Monette's Supper Club. Now imagine this being a supper club. Okay. <laughs> you know, but that's what it was, you know. And, and, they, and she wow. asked Billy Holiday to sing. Billy Holiday got him to sing. There was a producing audience, you know, John Hammond. Yeah. Who became Billy Holiday's manager in history. That was it. 
You know, it has to do with like being at the right place at the right time. That's right. Mm-hmm. Also being prepared. Right, exactly. If you get in the right place, if you're not prepared, you ain't gonna get it. That's yeah, right. right. But if you yeah. are prepared, it's all right there. That first yeah. impression, huh? Yeah, yeah you know, yeah, the formula, preparation and opportunity. Yes. Equal success. Equal yeah. success. Yeah. Period. Yeah. Yeah, man. You know, uh, what we really try to do with this podcast, because we run him through uh, a program that we have, it's called Jazz Biz 101. We really want to touch on on the business side of jazz, you know, because, you know, there's a gap in there as musicians, you know, and and, uh, we don't understand the business, you know, as we were talking to to Michael. You know, we were just like exchanging some ideas and picking your brain about right. like, you know, all this stuff. So it's really yeah. very interesting. And thank, we want to thank you for sharing yeah. these thoughts of how you became as it. Because you, I mean, this is an important thing that people need to understand. You you are a legend as a saxophone player and you own your own club. That's right. You well, know, you know what happened to me? <laughs> you know hey, what I mean? Let me tell you what happened to me. You know, you know, uh, you know Bobby Watson. Yeah. Right? Yeah. He and I are buddies, you know. I've known Bobby Watson since he came to New York, you know. And he came to New York very prepared, you know. He he understood, I mean, he could write, he could arrange, he could do all the shit. And then he ran into me, you know, and you know, like, well, who's this guy, you know, playing like this, you know? Mm. And uh we became very, very close friends. And I often tease him. We tease with each other. And I tease him because Bobby Watson is well liked. Mm. People like him. Yeah, mm. yeah. White people like him. Like <laughs> him. Everybody <laughs> like him. <laughs> now I come into the same room with Bobby, and nobody don't like me. They just <laughs> look at me like, and we like you, man. Yeah. We like you. <laughs> I mean, once you get to know me, it's another yeah. thing. So yeah. I often tease Bobby. Uh, I just say, man, you know. You could walk in a room, and I can walk in a room. People would embrace you. I'll come in the room, and people are like, <laughs> you know, some shit like that. You know, I always got to go through. I always got to go through that. You know, right. and we laugh, we laugh and talk. You know, mm-hmm. he say because they scared of you, Bill. You scared of these motherfuckers. I said I don't even say nothing. <laughs> I didn't even do it. My big face coming in, my black face coming out. You black, so tell. Ain't that? They be scared of you too. <laughs> Can't be that. But there's something about my personality. Yeah, and I had to accept. That because uh-huh. it's not mm-hmm. a flaw in my personality, and so much as this insecurity on their part mm-hmm. if they're intimidated right. by the, my presence. Right. So I don't mm-hmm. give a shit about that. You know? yeah. But right. the great equalizer has got to be the music. Exactly. Right. Even well, even the, with that yeah. first impression based on a visual, I'm certain that once they hear the music. They, no, that's not true. It becomes. They hear the music and still. Let me tell you something. I'm going to tell you something that's absolutely true. One of the things that made me want to open up my own club uh-huh. is I went to a very well-known club here. I'm not going to dog nobody, so I ain't going to tell you. As your lawyer. The live musicians you. play there all right. the time. Right. All the time. And I was sitting there with the owner. Mm-hmm. It was almost like a little after now. Almost New Year's, you know. And I said to the owner, I said, well, do you think I can get a gig this year? Just turn a new year, 2021, for example. And he said, well, you know, Bill, we're booked up for the year. Oh. I said, you mean the whole motherfucking year? <laughs> <laughs> and it just started... Will you tell the whole year? And no cancellations? No possibility? Right. You put him on the spot. What did he tell me? I swear to God, Peter, that's what he told me. I said, oh, well, damn. Yeah. I said, well, maybe I need to win a mountain Right. And it's so funny yeah. that this very place. Yelp gave me a higher rating than them. Right. Yeah. But success yeah. is always And now, the best you know, they're doing streams, but the club is closed. Right. The difference is, is that uh, my wife and I, we own this whole building. Nice. Okay. So, yeah. like. So, top to bottom. Wow. Mm-hmm. You know, so, uh, you know, I mean, the, the rent factor, I mean, we're losing money because this could be like a, 
This is downstairs. Yeah. This could be a duplex garden. Garden is back there. Oh, yeah, yeah. For sure. apartment. Yeah. We're talking about $4,000 a month. Oh, That's yeah. Right. Easy. Right. For family. Because yeah. this is this is like the kitchen was here. All the fixtures are under the stage. Everything is here. We can transform this into an apartment mm-hmm. like in one day. Yeah. Transform yeah. anytime we want. Because mm-hmm. this was the other bathroom here. Right there. Just, just, you know. wow. Well, we it's hope a, that, you know, that doesn't, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we want, we want the music see, playing, but, 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 but we don't want to see that happen. Right. But it's very interesting to keep the music playing. Also talk about the business of things, right. you know, yeah, sometimes like, you have to do, you know, uh, uh, necessities. Yeah. yeah necessities. Yeah. The mother of Richard. Exactly. So you can't, Eddie Hennessy just done. Well, if you can't ride the horse, ride the mule. Yeah, hmm. get you a ride. That's it. You hit the If you can't ride, if you can't ride the horse, ride, ride the mule. Okay. We'll get you a motherfucking ride. Some kind of <laughs> right. That's where I'm at. You know, I'll get a ride, and I'll try. You know, I mean, I'll try. I'll, I'll try something. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, that yeah. don't work. Yeah. But I'm determined to play this music, and I'm determined to spread the word about this music, because uh, 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 this is what. Makes me happy to do, mm-hmm. you know. And these guys like Daryl, like uh, Keith and Keith. Keith yeah. you know, I know friends. Keith's father, you know, Donald Brown. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's his father. Oh, that's his. Oh. That's his dad. Sure, his father used to play with me. So oh. here I'm coming, and he came here, found me, and these young guys, like you know Theo Hill. Yeah, yeah. of course. Yeah. Theo Hill's is my main piano player for oh, years. He moved, right? He lives in Costa Rica, Costa but he calls Rica. me every week. That's he calls right. me all the time. But you know, like uh, Theo, the, I got a whole. As a matter of fact, Charles Tolliver, you know, yeah, of course, yeah. Charles Tolliver comes here when he's looking for musicians because I have the reputation of having the best young guys around me in town. Mm. Wow! And then I, you know, then I train them, you know, then I let them go. It's some Jason Brown. Jason you know, Brown, Jason yeah, Brown. He started yes. with me. Oh, wow. You know, okay. uh, who else? Uh, Lawrence Leathers, who just Lawrence died. Lawrence he died. played his last gig here with me. Really? The night before he his died. Last oh, wow. He played Friday with me. Then Saturday he died. Wow. He got killed. Oh, yes. oh wow. Uh, fantastic. You know who it's Stalin. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, so many. That's right. And Desron is another one. You know, I mean, wow. he came out of... I mean, this whole thing that we just did came out of, see, I'm in the middle of, uh, I have to have dental surgery. Oh, I see. I'm having some serious, expensive, painful dental work done. And I had resigned myself to not doing nothing until this happens. And then Desron had a band here rehearsing for a record date or something. And he came back again. He said, man, you know, we need to get together and play some Christmas songs. I said, okay. I said, I think I can do that, you know. Mm. And so this is how this whole thing happened. Ah, I yeah, see. I see. And then he said, well, I'm going to find somebody who can do the stream. And I thought of you guys uh, because of the thing that we did at the Jazz Museum. That's right. Jazz Museum. That's, that's, right. how, that's how the whole, that's, that's, how that's how the whole story. Yeah. So, that's you know, where there's, cool. where there's a way, you know, where there's a will, there's, there's a way. A way. Yeah. So that's how it happened. And I say to you to say that musicians, you know, there's you got to find another way to do it. You know? Yeah. That's right. I mean, when I used to play with Tito Puente, he used to play nine days a week. Why? Because he played every day of the week, two gigs on Friday, two, two gigs, gigs on Saturday. Saturday. No, two right. gigs on Saturday, right. two gigs days. on Sunday. Yeah. Nine, couldn't do anything else. He played, you know. I used to play with Roy Haynes and go all the way to Boston for fifty dollars. Oh wow! Drive up there and had to have to turn around and drive back. No hotel. That's right. I'm so glad to play with Roy. Fifty fucking dollars, yeah. right? Right. Well, gas was like hundred dollars. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you gotta remember it was cheap, but <laughs> it was still yeah, 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 yeah. do four hours. It was an investment, right? Yeah, exactly. it was totally. You yeah. know, yeah. I would talk yeah. about investment. You rode the time. mule. I wanted to be there. <laughs> you rode the mule, and then the mule became yeah. the third one. I wanted to be there. You know, and we're tight to this day. I mean, I I'm tight with Clark Terry. I mean, I just realized that on the fourteenth of this month. Clark Terry be a hundred years old. Wow. I was tight with Clark. I mean, shit. Tight. I mean, he was like a father of him. Frank Foster and him. 
I mean, Clark Terry was really, I got pictures of him over there. Yeah. Clark Terry, you know, shit. I didn't realize. I said, damn, if he's almost 100, if he be 100, that means shit. And I do him. Damn, yeah. I'm on my way. We still need yeah, you around, man. We still need you around. Yeah, you guys know me, and I know him, and he's already 100, and shit. It makes you start thinking about a whole lot of shit, you know? Right, right. that point. Hey, Bill, so if we, we talk, we're talking about, you know, this wonderful place you got here, man, and we talk about the stream, mm-hmm. what do you think is the uh, the best way that you want people to, like, you know, make community with you during this times? So what's, uh, you want them to check out, go to your website, you want them to, like, really just get on this stream or... You want them to get on, you know what I mean? Like, how do you want them to get in touch with you or support this place, man? Well, you know, I think that uh, support is always cool. You know, you can buy, you can buy a ticket, mm-hmm. or you can make a donation, or buy a ticket and make a donation. Make a mm-hmm. donation. Mm-hmm. All, all of that is, is acceptable yeah. and appreciated most humbly, mm-hmm. because now the music whole scene. Everything has changed. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's going to ever go back to what we do. It, you know, mm-hmm. I really honestly don't think that it's going to get back to people going into clubs and stuff like that because the streaming reaches out to the world, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's right. The whole the whole world. And if you got, and when you start talking about 100 tickets and you start talking about the whole world, well, that ain't nothing. Right. Mm-hmm. That's right. It ain't That's nothing. Right. You know, That's you, right. you could be talking about a million tickets. Yeah. Now you're talking. Yeah. Right. Yeah, you know, that makes sense. <laughs> but uh, you know, I think that we're going and you guys are on the cutting edge with your business and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And if at any time at all, you know, that you need to do something and you need a site, I would appreciate you to considerate us as a site for you doing something that mm-hmm. has nothing to do with me. Right, right, right. You right. can, you know, we can, we can, we can right. work. You we can work together. Right. We can work. We can work together because you got a to classic man. place. With historical value, That's you know, right. and if you didn't want to do something here, you know, I mean, y'all took all my I'm chairs already out writing that shit, contract, Bill. But I'll put, just them got down. I'll put them back. Down. I can't even, I can't even remember <laughs> what it used to look like. Y'all moved everything around. Yeah, I'm already, I'm so, writing that contract. No, man, it's true, man, because, you know, <laughs> we've had the opportunity to yeah. actually this last seven, eight months that mm-hmm. we've all been going through this pandemic to actually work with some organizations that... Mm-hmm. Maybe don't have the space, or even some musicians. Exactly, that's yeah. what I know. You know man, that they're, they're like, "Hey, man, I need to play at this festival, but yeah. I don't have a spot." Yeah. You know what I mean? Say, "Well, I got you." Okay, yeah. that's right. Cool. And then you can say, "I can get you in Harlem." Harlem. Yeah, yeah. That's right. that's right. We got the connection. That's there right. you go. Right. That's right. Then we go from there. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so right. just keep that in mind. Right. Right. Appreciate you know, that we can work together and build together. You know, and and you know, hey. Yeah. You want to play in Roy Haynes' drums? Come yeah. to Bill's place, you yeah. know? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> real Roy Haynes with his signature on the drums. Yeah, I, I, was, I was passed by him like, Roy Haynes. You know, here. Roy Haynes is a funny guy, you know. He, he's funny. He's very, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and he, 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 I, I, I don't, let's see how I did this drum shit. Um, I think he offered it. He offered the drums. He said, man, I'll give you... Because he, he has tons of drums. He used, yeah. sure he used, he to, he used to endorse Ludwig drums where they Once had a week the, or the see-through right. drums, you know. He had all that shit. Yeah. So he, he offered me a set of drums. Wow. And my friend, my good friend, who's no longer here, he said, Roy told you he will give you a set of drums? He said, well, you better go and get those motherfuckers. ASAP. He might change his mind. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you got right. it. Right. And, and, and he couldn't believe that, Roy. And I went there and got the fucking drums. Yeah. Brand new set. This was a brand new yeah. set. Yeah. Right. You it's know what I mean? And they sound good with that. And then the, the bass drum, the head of the bass drum was sitting this. on the table. Oh. I said, well, can I have that too? <laughs> I'm already here, right? Yeah. Already yeah. Here. yeah. So me, uh, yeah, that's great. But I guess let me ask you just finally. I understand you might have some new music coming to the market. Oh, uh, yeah, as I just a, as did a follow up to this to yes. this wonderful streaming opportunity we're going to hear. Yeah, um, 
Man, I just did a, a CD. Um, I had, uh, you know, Santi Debriano, mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. him, Theo Hill, mm-hmm. and Dow. Nice. Nice. Beautiful. And we went to the studio and I, but I couldn't get a record company to pick it up. I didn't blitz the whole, you know, I just like, I went to the guy at Muse, Barney Fields. Yeah. So now we're in the world of the independence, you know, it's just again, you get back on the music. And and we get around. But I know, so when you guys came along, I said, well, shit. That's why we play some of the same music that's on the CD. It's kind of advertise the CD. The CD. As, you know, that's why. Because I could have played a whole man. lot of different shows. Awesome, mm-hmm. good music, too. Yeah, yeah man. Yeah. Wow. Man, I got to say, you know, uh, well, as we were filming this stuff, I was like, I was just like looking at Peter and I was like, oh, shoot, you know, like this is <laughs> yeah, happening, this, man. This, this is the real shit. Yeah, yeah this is the real you know? shit, man. Yeah. 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 For the sure. band was on it. Like, you guys. Took it to another level. So, I, you know, I can't wait for us to piece all this together. It's already together. We just got, you know, we're okay. not doing much. We're just, you know, shaping it. Make it shine, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but very much looking forward to it, man. Yeah. Thank, thank, yeah. thank you again, thank, man. Thank for, you, brothers. Thank you. I really That's appreciate why I, it, man. I appreciate yeah. you guys, man. Yeah. That's why, you know, yeah. I'm just, you know, I'm overwhelmed. I'm yeah, man. Tired.